Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast Maiden is being held on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay respect to their elders past, present and immersion and their multiple birth parents with children with disabilities. And this week, we're talking to Eliza Hull. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F word, so it's not really suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, peas. You may notice that there is a very important P missing from the microphones. This is the first time I have done a podcast on my own and it's definitely not one P in a podcast because I can't do this on my own (laughs) and I don't want to and I just wanted to pop in and say before we start on this episode that Mandy is home. Her beautiful household has been struck down with COVID. They're all okay. You don't have to worry. And hopefully at the end, she'll come in for her cry, laugh difference. We will do that over Zoom at some point. But on the day of recording, she wasn't well. The children aren't well. So she is home trying to support them. And I know lots of friends and family are supporting her from a safe distance. So today's episode is really great. Um, I talked to Eliza Hull, who's just written the amazing book, We've Got This. I really encourage you all to go out and get it. It is just incredible um, for everybody, but if you are a parent of a child with a disability and you wonder what their adult life is going to be like, as if they're going to be parents, it's really, really, really good. Um, it's just written beautifully. It's just, it's everything that the peas are about is in this book. You're going to love it. Eliza's absolutely divine. We had a beautiful conversation. I did not do as good a job as I could do if Mandy's here, but I'm sure that you will forgive us this one time. Uh, just so you know, it's a beautiful sunny day in Melbourne, very autumnal. It's about 22 degrees. It was cold enough this morning that we had the little gas fire on and everyone sat around it. And now it's a beautiful sunny day with all the windows open. 
So hopefully you will hear Mandy's beautiful voice at the end of this. Uh, I do have a cold, if you can hear it in my voice, but I've done all the tests and it's just a cold, so it's a strange thing to have. I don't, don't think I've had one for two and a half years, but anyway, I have a cold. Hopefully Mandy will be in for our cry-laugh difference and I really hope you enjoy this beautiful episode with Eliza. Mandy and I are really, really excited. We absolutely loved her book, actually read it in one sitting, which is I think a first for me since about 2018. Um, And we're going to ask her our three questions. But first of all, how are you, Eliza? I'm well. Thank you for having me. That's good. I know you've been overseas this week. I have, yeah. I just got back uh, from America Gee, two days ago now, so still feeling the jet lag. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I was just like, wow, people still do that. They go away and they come back. And uh, Yeah, it's, it was a very um, anxiety-provoking, I guess, mm. because I think we had, you know, have been sheltered for so many years and just to go over the other side of the world felt quite surreal. Yeah, yeah, it would. It really, really would. All right, so the three questions that we have for you today. The first question is, do you have any music or a song or a band that like really peps you up or gets you through the bad times? Yeah, I really love Janis Joplin's Peace of My Heart. Mm. Uh, Just quite an empowering song and I have sung it before. It's quite a hard (laughs) song to sing. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it just always makes me feel really empowered and yeah, I think she was a person that I really admire because she, you know, went against her parents' wishes and went and forged a music career. Yes. Yeah, just did things her way. So I think uh, that's that's why I choose that song. Oh, we have a two-piece Spotify playlist, so we will pop that on there for the piece to listen to. Right. <laughs> Our second uh, question, which a lot of people find a little bit weird, is did you win any awards at school? Yeah, I mean, that's why I started singing. So yeah. uh, when I was about five years old uh, in prep, mm-hmm. I was walking down the corridor of the school and a teacher said, do you want to sing in the local of Stedford because a child had pulled out at the time. Wow. And so I put my hand up and said, yes, I'd like to do it. Um, I'd just developed my disability at that time. So mm-hmm. I think it was a real great I guess, outlet um, to, you know, just express how I was really feeling. Mm. Uh, and for that competition, I won. So I won a gold medal. <laughs> wow. And I think at that moment I was like, oh, this is maybe is something that I could actually do and have never looked back. And what did you sing? Uh, it's quite embarrassing, but it's um, <laughs> Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not the greatest. Uh, you've got to start somewhere. That's true. I haven't heard that song for a long time, so I'm going to think about it now. <laughs> and our last question is, why are you a P or P adjacent or part of our P community? Um, because I'm a person with disability and have just written uh, and edited this book about parenting with disability and I feel like this book will be a great one for the community. I really, really think it will. Like I said in my very brief intro, I think the last few years um, I've had a lot on and 
probably haven't read as much as I used to because reading was my real solace. But this, and Mandy was exactly the same. We just couldn't put it down. She was like, Mandy and I have a Snapchat relationship. So she'd be snapping me in tears going, you've got to read chapter this, you've got to read that. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just know, I mean, everybody's going to love it, but I think especially the peas are going to love it. So many things just really spoke to us. So the book is called We've Got This, for those of you at home. Um, when did you first get the idea to put all these stories together? Uh, it was about uh, nearly eight years ago mm. when I was pregnant with my daughter and just was really seeking a book like this. I just wanted to know mm. whether there was any hacks, like how you know how could I hold my baby? How do I get my baby out of the car? I have a a physical disability called Charcot Marie Tooth. Mm. And I just, yeah, I was really just seeking some sort of representation because you do get given all these parenting books and you get given all this advice and information, but it actually made me realize that there wasn't anything out there for parents with a disability. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I, I don't have a disability but as a parent of children with disabilities, we also find those books like, oh, we can throw them away half the time. Like where's the stuff that actually relates to all families? You know, mm-hmm. everything we do, well, not we, but everything in life seems to be if you fit this square, this book's for you. And if you fit this square, this book's for you. So it's really great that this book's just for everybody. And the truth is all parents um, have really different stories and are really interested in other people's parenting stories. Like, Yeah, exactly. Like I think it's been really great um, non-disabled people just reaching out and saying like they're just really interesting stories. Mm, they just, are. Whether you're a parent or not, whether you have a disability or not. Um, yeah, I just a lot of people have just thought I actually had never thought like how do deaf parents know that their child's crying in the night or how do two blind parents take their child to the park or yeah. what is it like to be a parent with dwarfism? Yeah. So all of, I think that it's just, yeah, it's just really interesting stories ultimately. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also been great that a lot of parents that have children with disability mm. saying, okay, this is great because I you know some people have been really open and honest and said, look, to be honest, I didn't know whether my child was going to be able to be a parent yes. or what that community would look like or what I what they would be up against. And this book is really telling and has helped me realise ways that I can, and uh, I guess, support and navigate parenting uh, when that potentially happens for my child. Yeah, and the other thing that I found really interesting and poignant was that you may have a child and not have a disability but end up with a disability and so you know, your whole outlook on life changes and how you viewed parenting changes. And those stories, I can imagine people really yearn for them too. Like, where am I in this picture now? So yeah, I really enjoyed those those stories too. So how did you decide which order the stories went in? <laughs> uh, it was kind of intuitive, really. Okay. Just like, yeah, just making sure that we had a real cross-section of disability, so making mm-hmm. sure that not, um, you know, each disability was different um, with the chapter going on to the next chapter. Also just making sure that there was different intersections like um, location mm-hmm. or whether the parent identified as being queer or mm-hmm. 
So that's really, it was just like, yeah, just trying to make sure that it was interesting for the reader to have different perspectives as as the book went along. Yeah. So did you swap them around a bit? Because I know when we wrote our book, we're like, yeah, it should be like this. And then you're like, no, 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 that's not how it should be. Yeah, a little bit of swapping around. (laughs) Yeah, to be honest, it was pretty quick. Okay, good. Um, And from the time you like spoke to the first person till the time you like press send, how long was that? I think it was over a year. Yeah, uh, yeah it took a long time. I think mm. people don't realise how long things can take. No. And <laughs> it was like, first of all, it's thinking about what the book should be or mm. what, it, you know, that kind of when it when it first is, is really decided upon. And mm. then uh, I went into the stage of trying to figure out who should I include and making sure that was a really fair process. So putting a call out uh, online, reaching out to all different organisations, reaching out within the disability community. Mm. And then uh, that was a hard process because, again, it's trying to make sure that you have different disability, different yep. locations. And um, and then, yeah, a lot of the stories were done by interview, mm. which would take it wouldn't just be an hour interview. It would be going back and forth for quite a while mm. and then writing up the stories and then working with each person that wrote their own and that's a lot of back and forth, back yes. and forth. But, yeah, and then writing my own, which actually that was probably the hardest in the end. Oh, really? I just, I, just, I just kept putting it off right until the end because I wanted to make sure that I kind of had finished that and then had some sort of completion and then was able to write. And then when I actually sat down to write it it was a really it just poured out of me yeah, and, I bet yeah because I'd already written <laughs> yes. it in my mind over and over and over <laughs> um but yeah. yeah no big big process and and now I'm creating another book oh. for an international audience of the same name but with international writers and contributors oh, wow so another not going to be another year-long thing <laughs> <laughs> and your publisher did you find them or did they find you or how did you go about getting the book published? I was a contributor in Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Yep. And so they were the publisher of that book. Yep. I had always this, we've got this, was first an audio series and yes. uh, for the ABC. And so ultimately I'd always wanted it to be a book even before it became the audio series. That was yep. the initial idea. So I just always thought, okay, I've got to, got to do that one day. Yep. And reached out to Black Ink after Growing Up Disabled was released yeah. and they straight away was just, yes, we'd love to put it out. So it was very lucky. Yeah, well, no, probably not lucky. It was really important and needed. So, yeah, yes. and a very lot of hard work, I can imagine. So, I mean, you know, people say you're not allowed to have a favourite child, which, of course, we don't, but um, do you <laughs> have a favourite part of the book? I thought you were going to ask me what was my favourite child. I don't know where I can do it. No, I would not ask that. Uh, uh, look, I think M- Micheline Lee's piece really affects me. Yeah. Uh, so she's a wheelchair user and she's Asian and she had to fight up against the adoption system as a person with disability and also somebody that is Asian and had to prove that she was capable to to adopt, which she said was very hard. Mm. And she she her and her partner ended up giving up on the idea of ever adopting. And luckily, right um, just as they were about to give up, they were granted the right to adopt their child. 
so I, I found that whole process, you know, the way she wrote it, mm. really interesting. But also then she speaks about going to take her child to school and her child being ashamed that she was disabled yeah. and not to be next to her as they walked into the school and also she falls out of her wheelchair and the child not wanting to help help or wanting to come near her. I think just I have experienced that as an adult that falls over Mm. most days Mm. in front of people. It can feel embarrassing. Mm. And um, I just think that it was really just really beautiful beautifully written and the way that she was just so vulnerable about very hard subjects like shame yeah she it was uh, yeah it was just really well done it really really was well done and it really made me think that we have this whole um you know thing that swirls around in our head if you fall down you've got to get up again you've got to get up you know you don't let anyone see you get down um mm. and i don't know when that you know cuz toddlers toddlers that are active seem to fall over every day no one thinks anything of it but then the older we get it seems to be shameful Mm. and I know like when my grandmother was in the nursing home before she passed away they'd ring and say she's had a fall like it's actually Mm. a you know it's this thing like well actually she's really frail and probably no one was with her yeah (laughs) yeah and it's just a really yeah it's a good point like we don't ever say that about toddlers that they've had a fall no we just say that fallen over yeah yeah. it's true it's true and I think it also feeds into I think as somebody that's really proud of being disabled Mm. as I I am I think sometimes I don't really give myself the space or chance to actually just go you know sometimes it actually is really hard and sometimes I can feel shame um so yeah, I think that Micheline did that so beautifully. Oh, she really did. It's yeah, I was really had to like have a couple of moments after I finished hers and yeah, have a look at myself too. But yeah, it's I mean, there's just so many beautiful stories. Um, and when you were like putting it all together, what was the hardest parts? Like I found reading the stories um of the mums with the intellectual disability, like I I just cried. Like I found that really hard. Like, did you find that hard? Yeah, absolutely. Because I know, you know, we, we I I got to know mm. the contributors really well, and I can really clearly see the discrimination. Oh yeah. And parents with intellectual disabilities. Sixty percent of those parents have their children taken mm. by the state, and. Time and time again, it's not due to um, anything other than actually blatant discrimination. Yes. These stories really show that because, you know, for instance, Jacqueline and Gary who are, who are in the book, mm. they're just really great parents and I've met their child and he's just thriving and happy and you can just see so much love. Yeah. And they are very capable but what actually happens is, the hospital system are afraid and there's just a lot of stigma and yep. questions and instead of how can we support you yeah. and how can we educate you. I think, you know, parenting is very isolating for anybody and yeah. confusing 
for anybody. I remember when my partner and I brought our first child home, you just look at each other and go, how, how do you do this? I know. Like you're not really given any kind <laughs> no. of instructions or support. It's just like you go on your way. Yep. So as a parent with intellectual disability, that's just exaggerated. Yep. Uh, and yet they still only get that one you know, maternal health yeah, visit. Yeah. Well, um, the NDIS doesn't support them, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a problem. It's a, it's a big issue. And I really hope this book does highlight that because ultimately children belong with their parents. I mean, it's not always the case that there are some times where uh, there, you know, it's unsafe to stay with a parent, but that that can happen with when you anybody, have yeah, or not. That's yes. right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's yep. definitely the biggest issue. Oh yeah, I just and I always feel so like, well, we're we're taking these children off people that don't have a voice. Like, how do they fight back? And um, yeah, I really, really hope that those chapters really resonate with people, and they, you know, because change has to start somewhere. And it's often, I know as parents, we're fierce advocates for our children. Um, And I probably, I think a lot of my friends hadn't thought about having to be fierce advocates for their children to be parents. Mm. So needs heaps more support. But anyway, read the book, people, and then you can jump on board. Um, So I had a few things that like really stood out for me that I thought I might point out to our beautiful P listeners. So I really enjoyed um, Christy Forbes's chapter. So I think a lot of the peas probably know her. She's an amazing parent and advocate for the um, neurodiverse community and is so, so smart, like, oh. like just – and I feel like she, as, as a parent of children with um, – all sorts of letters after their name. I, I just feel like she gives us the freedom to go, your children are awesome, just awesome. And very, very few specialists or, you know, people in the autism or ADHD world ever do that. So she is a breath of fresh air and everybody needs to get on her. But um, I just thought I'd read like the last little paragraph of her thing where she says, of course there are still moments when I'm scared. Sometimes I still feel like I'm failing my children. I think that's a normal experience for any parent. But when we are autistic, we automatically hold ourselves responsible for anything that doesn't work out the way we think it should. We have to give ourselves permissions to to live out our hopes and dreams. We have the right to equity. We have the same right to quality of life as does any other human being. And if we want to have children, then there is an incredible, welcoming autistic community out there that can empower us to parent. Like, I just Mm -hmm. cried and cried. I was like, that is so beautiful. We don't hear that voice. No, we don't hear that voice that is just actually ultimately just so proud of her family. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. you know, I know um, for Mandy and I, we've sort of um, not moved away from people. I don't know how to nicely say it, but people who when you when you talk about your children, they sort of put their head on the side and go, oh. What a shame. Oh, yeah, what a shame. And you're like, meanwhile, I am – so proud of them. I was telling you this story because just, you know, explain something about them, but it's not something that I'm at all ashamed of or worried about or, you know, but I suppose, and my boy's paediatrician always says to me, you live in a really funny world because you've surrounded yourself with people who believe what you believe. 
so you don't have people sort of judging you or, you know, he said, it's beautiful. You're really, really lucky. And I think it is beautiful, but you have to fight for that world. Whereas other Mm. parents just off they go to play group and the world is there. Yeah. And I think when I look at the representation that we're taught as children and like, it's, that's, I I really feel like that's the big problem. Like Mm. how it, how disability and neurodiversity is like depicted on TV and movies. Yeah. I think they're the, the big shifts that actually can really change attitudes. I oh. think that's where, where we really need to look at how we start shifting those, those, um, yeah, those attitudes and depiction, I guess, of, you know, in characters in movies, mm, but mm. also just in, uh, you know, documentaries and yeah. Yeah. That's where I see change needs to happen. Yeah, and I think, um, like I always think, I will. I love a, a TV show or a book or a movie or whatever that has a disabled or autistic or neurodiverse person in it, but that's not the plot. Like that's just, they're just mm-hmm. a part of it because for those of us that live with that, that it's not the plot. It's really not. My home might be different to yours, but neither of them are right or wrong. So yeah, I just want, that's the sort of representation that I want, but, mm. you know, we'll keep chipping away. <laughs> um, I wanted also, I think, if the peas buy this book and read um, the chapter by Brent Phillips, I think that will really, really resonate with them. And he tells the story of being um, deaf and having his child tested to see if his child was deaf and how the nurse was sort of congratulating him because his child wasn't deaf and mm. she's perfect. Um, mm. I just, yeah, we have a, um episode of our podcast called Just a Healthy Baby that uh, just sort of went a bit viral because we find that people say that without meaning any malice. They're not, mm. but actually it's an incredibly, I find it just hurtful. Like, Yeah, every time it, it's spoken about by a friend or uh, it's, it always hits a nerve with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I just want a healthy baby. I yep. just, yeah, and it's, I think it feeds into screening for yep. disability. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother subject. It is, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Brent's piece was great because, I mean, first of all, he, he says that they didn't even provide an interpreter. So the accessibility wasn't even there for him to understand what yes. was going on, which you could imagine would be incredibly hard. And then on top of that, their child, you know, being asked to be part of the, the general hearing test. Yes. And, the, yeah, as you said, the nurse congratulating them that their child wasn't wasn't like, like them. them. Yeah. A really hurtful thing to happen. Oh, really hurtful. I'm People who know my story know that when I was um, about 12 or 13 weeks pregnant, um, I was told to terminate my boys because... They most likely wouldn't survive and if they survived, they'd have a disability. And I went and saw her. My obstetrician said, let's talk to another doctor that does scans. And I was sitting in there and, you know, he was going through everything and he said, what is your greatest fear? And I said, that I, my babies die. And he said, so what happens if, they get, if we terminate? And I said, oh, well, my babies will die. He goes, right, well, let's not do that. He goes, you know, they may, but every baby may die. You know, he said, we'll, we'll just spin that wheel. And he said, I will support you the whole way through. And it was the first person who'd sort of said, it's okay. 
Like it's mm. actually okay to do this. And just the weight that lifted off me was like, oh, I can do this. I can have these babies. Like they were twins. But, I mean, I, I lost friends because people said, you're just so irresponsible. You should terminate them. And I was mm. like, well, actually I'm terminating one thing and <laughs> that's our friendship. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of parents speak about that within the book. Deborah Kinnahan is mm. a person with the chondroplasia, which yeah. causes dwarfism. Mm. And her going to her appointment and the, the doctor saying, you know, if you had have come a couple of weeks ago, we could have done something about yes. this. Just... And um, yeah, that that something was terminating yeah. now. Daughter, Sarah, who's just you know, she's doing veterinary science and yeah. you know, she's just an incredible person. And just to think that if we listened to these medical professionals, yep. imagine we wouldn't oh. have gorgeous children that we have. And no, I, yeah. no, yeah. I just, yeah, I can't, like my whole life is better and has changed. So I think who would have I been if they weren't here? Just, yeah, incredible. Yeah, but I know when I had my scan, and they said, oh, we also think they have Down syndrome. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, oh, actually, I don't, you don't really see many people with Down syndrome anymore. And he goes, my, the scanner goes, oh, I do. And it just mm. hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, right. Somehow in my mind, I'd thought the birth rate had lessened, you know. I was oh. like, oh, my God. Like all these things you just don't think about till mm. it's, you know, presented to you. Mm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So shall we talk about your chapter in the book? <laughs> Tell the peas a little bit about you. Yes. So was it a tough decision to have children or did you always want to have children? Uh, I always wanted to have children. It was still tough uh, because I have a 50% chance of passing on my disability. And whilst uh, ultimately I chose to have kids because and I didn't, I didn't screen for my disability. Yeah. Um, I still knew that that was a tough decision because I know what it's like to be disabled and sometimes it is hard because of the barriers in the world. For yep. instance, I can't get upstairs and, as I said, I fall over and yep. pain and fatigue, but also just the attitudes that I face, mm. uh, whether that be people stopping me on the street and praying for me or <sighs> Um, people laughing and staring yeah. those are the hard times and I it was a hard like that is why it was a hard decision yeah. because I didn't want that for my child yeah but in saying that just as we you know you both said like who would we be if we didn't have disability in our lives yeah. and I 
I wouldn't be the person that I would that I am today. No. I wouldn't book wouldn't be out. I probably wouldn't sing the way that I sing. Yeah. Um, our home is rich because of disability. Yeah. Like diversity is celebrated. I have very you know open, kind children mm. that look out for others. So I, I I see it as not a negative and not a deficit. I see it as something that's made my life better, yeah. which a lot of people find really challenging to, they just think, how can that be? Is that, you know, maybe she's lying, but yeah, yeah. I'm not lying. Like it's, it's <laughs> she really doesn't look like she's lying. Okay. <laughs> so when were you sort of aware of your own disability as a child? Uh, as a five-year-old, I started falling over at school and yeah, just started falling every day. And mum and dad took me to the Royal Children's to have a diagnosis. And I was diagnosed with a terminal um, illness. And uh, then I, they were then told that I have um, Charcot-Marie tooth disorder, yep. um, which, yeah, it's affects the way that I walk and um, I still fall over regularly. Yeah, so after I was diagnosed with Charcot-Murray tooth, I was then, I guess, quite medicalised. Um, and I don't blame my parents for that because ultimately they were just really seeking answers yeah. and uh, were trying to make sure that I lived a life with um, less pain. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, during my um, primary school years and high school years, I had a, a lot of surgery, uh, which, so I was a wheelchair user um, throughout school. Mm. And um, yeah, look, yeah, it is what it is. I guess, in, in fact, it was the operations, I guess, probably, yeah, didn't work. Right. <laughs> they were probably made it a lot worse. Oh, okay. Again, yeah. It's just is what it is. Yeah, know? yeah. And, and so, again, I don't blame my parents no. for that. Yeah, I'm sure they just wanted to make sure you're okay. So you, I mean, what yeah. do we do? We trust the experts because we don't know, you know. Exactly. And exactly. Then, yeah, it's well, it's very tricky. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of um, parents who get told, you know, they need to have big surgeries for their kids. It's really, really hard. Really, really yeah. hard. Yeah. Very. So. Um, and when have you always since that um when you won that amazing award when you were five have you continued singing the whole time yeah absolutely so that's I guess one of the biggest parts of my career really is singing and touring and that's why I just was recently in America so Mm. sang there and yeah it's it's definitely been the thing that has helped when disability has been um, hard whenever I've felt discriminated against or judged questioned I've really turned to music to be a way to express some of those harder feelings and emotions so it's been really great and I think singing and disability for me feels very intertwined because they happened at the exact same yeah yeah which is kind of odd (laughs) yeah yeah it is but I suppose that's who you are. So, yeah. yeah exactly. So, what sort of music do you sing? Uh, I guess it's like you know, people say it's like a ethereal, dreamy pop. That's how they describe Ooh, it. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's quite like emotional uh, singer songwriter. Yeah, with electronic 
components and it's been used a lot in TV shows. So I think it kind of fits that cinematic feeling. Wow. How awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to send us some links and we'll put them in the show notes for the the piece, the piece to listen. They're in, our listeners are incredibly supportive. So they get onto everything and, yeah, they're just the best little right. community on the internet, I think. <laughs> the end of the book, before we let you go, because Eliza's um, baby has just woken up because um, I very rudely got the wrong time for the interview and she stayed uh, talking to me anyway because she's a lovely human. This, there was a page, I think it must have been this, Um, I am proud. People may question my ability, but I'm an incredible mother. I give my whole being to my children. I love them, take care of them, do everything for them. Yes, I move through the world differently and more slowly, but my house is full of love. Sometimes it's really hard and I'm absolutely exhausted, but when I see my kids smiling and running around calling me mum, it's so beautiful. It's worth it no matter what. And that I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation of her name. Ninguk Chair, is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just, I thought, I, I just read it a few times because that's, for me, when I see my kids happy or just, you know, mucking around together or one of them makes a joke, I just have this like new influx of love that I didn't know that I had. And I mm. feel like I'm doing okay as a mother in that moment. And I thought I really related to that. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yangok is She's um, from South Sudan and she is a refugee and came to Melbourne, Australia and had two kids and they're so cute. (laughs) So beautiful. And she speaks, yeah, within her chapter just about the the attitudes out in society, Mm. the discrimination, the questioning of like, you know, should you be a parent? And uh, she also says that a lot of it can feel like, ableism but also racism yes Uh, so that how that um intertwines but i I really love her closing chapter because it's so true Mm. while people might question her ability whilst people might say that she shouldn't be a parent or how can she manage or what happens to her children i think it really shows how capable she is as a parent and how happy yeah, children are and what disability brings to their life oh, instead I, of seeing it as a negative. I think so and I know a lot of my friends and a lot of our listeners are very judgmental on themselves. Are they being a good enough parent? Are they doing the right things for their children? And I think Mandy and I always say the one thing that we can all give our kids is 100% love and acceptance exactly. and that Everything else can fill in the gaps, you know. There's other – we do need a village. Other people can help us or we can, you know, send them to school and they get stuff from school or therapy or wherever else. But the bottom line is what they need from us is love. Love, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, And this book was just full of love. Yeah, we all do. (laughs) Even adults. Yeah, very true. (laughs) But, yeah. You're right. You are right. This this book is full of a lot of love. It is. You can feel that. Yeah, it was just – yeah, it was just a really beautiful, beautiful read. I loved it. So I'm going to tell the peas to go and buy it because they will love it. It must be selling really well because it's exceptional. So it is. Yeah, and just, again, it's just so great when people reach out and that that really is what means the yeah. most to me when 
you know, person with disability says, oh, I've just read this and now I actually feel like I can be. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that is exactly what this book is for. And yep. again, for, for parents that have children with disability, just feeling like this is the representation that I need so that I can support my child to, to be a parent. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Thank you for writing it and for going to all the effort of putting it together. Thank you for talking to me during my chaos and um, I, I hope your baby is fine and um, yeah thank you so much thank you so much for having me no worries hello peas I hope you really enjoyed that interview Eliza was amazing and her book is outstanding so I hope you'll all rush out and buy it all the links are in the show notes you may notice that I'm still a single P. It's very strange podcasting without Mandy. Uh, we were really hoping that she would be able to zoom in for her cry laugh difference, but her week has been extremely ordinary. So sadly, it's just me. So I am not going to uh, try and make you laugh on my own or talk about my own cries. I'm sure Mandy's got way more things to complain about than me. So I, we just needed to put a, a bottom on the end of this episode. I want to say... Please buy our tickets for Canberra and Sydney. They're selling. It's so exciting. Um, Canberra is May 28 and Sydney is June 18. We've got an afternoon show at 4.30 in Sydney and then an evening show at 7.30. And we did that so that we could meet you because if we just did one show, we couldn't meet people. And I know the evening show is selling much quicker than the afternoon show. So if you want the evening show, maybe get in and book. But the afternoon show is also going to be awesome and our show this year is all about self-help and the myth of self-help and self-care and the myth of self-care and how much pressure that puts on us when we're already under a lot of pressure. So I think it's pretty awesome. Before I go, I want to give a little shout out to a really awesome podcast called Welcome to Patchwork. If you loved Seinfeld or if you love that sort of observational comedy, then Welcome to Patchwork are just divine. They're the most beautiful humans. Mandy and I have spoken about them on numerous occasions. We met them when we lost our podcast award. They were the only people that came and sat with us. I would really love you to go and have a listen to their podcast. Please go and like their Instagram. I'd love to get their likes up. So I have taken a screenshot and I know how many likes they have. So I'd like to see a few more. Please, please, please. They're beautiful. That's Welcome to Patchwork. If you just need a laugh, you want something light that you can listen to, they're really good and I actually laugh out loud. Uh, my girls love them. Mandy loves them. So I think that's a pretty good wrap for how awesome they are. So hopefully you can listen to Welcome to Patchwork. Mandy and I are actually going to their live show, which they have got during the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So if you want to, you could go to that and see us as well. Anyway, that's all for us this week. We are sad that Mandy's not here. I'm super sad, but she will be back ASAP. Okay, bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 